This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, as you heard in Bob's News, this morning, Premier Doug Ford offered a tearful apology in his first appearance since that disastrous news conference last Friday. He admitted his government got it wrong, but people who were expecting news about movement on pay sick days, as the PCs have been signaling for days, were disappointed. There was no announcement, though the premier did confirm that his government is working on it. Uh, I guess that amounts to a promise. And of course, this work comes after medical and civic leaders have been telling us for months that paid sick days are crucial to stopping the spread. So now for some reaction, let's go to Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown. Mayor Brown, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure to be on your show. Great. Uh, so what is your reaction to what you heard from Doug Ford? Well, uh, I'm encouraged that he is going to bring in um, paid sick days. I thought this was an important tool. Uh, I've been advocating it for it for the last six months because that's what our physicians and public health departments said would be helpful. I know in Peel Region, 25% of our COVID cases have been traced back to people going into work sick. You know, There are many people who live paycheck to paycheck and can't afford uh, to um, put food on the table for the family and pay their rent if they don't go into work. And so this will help. Uh, paid sick days will help. It's not the magic bullet, but it's one of a set of tools we need to um, mitigate the, the havoc created by this pandemic. What about the timing? As you said, you and others have been saying this for months. We're now in the height of the pandemic. The premier did point a, a finger at the federal government saying that they were waiting for the federal government to fix it. They're still working on it. I mean, we, we know what people need. They they need their money and they need it right away because they don't have anything extra. Well, would I have preferred this have happened six months ago? Absolutely. Um, it would have made a difference. Um, but I appreciate the premier has made the right call um, and uh, agreed to this um, to uh, agreed to this request and 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 this plea. Um, um, so I'm grateful that he that he sees the light. Uh, interesting. Yesterday I was talking to the liberal leader and and. Uh, uh, he obviously he's an opposition leader and a political animal, and and uh, I was wondering if those Section 22s, uh, the public health orders that they will be able to shut down workplaces with five or more cases, sort of forced the government's hand on that. And he he said he thought no, it's because now Doug Ford is in real political trouble. How how do you see it? I think the Section 22 order was very important. Um, that's where the transmission is happening. We have to focus on these essential uh, workplaces. Uh, we, um, you know, we are seeing workplace spread lead to community spread. It's one of the reasons we're in this um, predicament. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm um, optimistic that this is going to help. I know right now we have 100 workplace investigations in Peel. A number of factories may have to close, um, but good. It will help get case numbers uh, under control. In terms of this order being applied provincially, uh, I think it's very helpful in Peel and Toronto, probably throughout the GTA. I'm not as convinced that it makes sense um, across the province because there'll be areas like Renfrew or Timmins that have a different dynamic. Um, but uh, it, it's certainly going to help us in the GTA. Well, what, what I'm asking is, uh, do you think that it was the Section 22s that sort of forced the government's hand into getting some action on sick days? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it was the Section 22 order. Um, I, I think it was the chorus of calls and push uh, from the science table and, and our top physicians that really made him change his mind. I, I think the, the call for paid sick days was so universal. Because, because paid sick days 
bringing in paid sick days is not going to result in the Section 22 order being rescinded, regardless if you have paid sick days or not. Um, I, I believe shutting down factories and outbreak makes sense. Yeah, but but it would certainly uh, give employers an incentive to make things safer and to themselves offer paid sick days if they know they could face a 10-day shutdown. That would be a lot more yeah, costly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it will encourage more corporate responsibility. Um, you know, uh, again, at this stage of the pandemic, how are you feeling about things in Brampton? I mean, you've said yourself that the paid sick days are one tool in the toolbox. What what else? The biggest thing we need to avoid a fourth wave, vaccines, 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 vaccines. You know, we're still not getting our per capita um, allocation when it comes to the pharmacy rollout. Um, we're not seeing uh, the... Uh, the promised uh, hotspots, uh, mobile clinics that were, you know, that were promised two weeks ago. Um, we, we, you know, we we have twenty percent of the COVID cases, ten point five percent of the provincial population, and ten percent of the vaccines. And I would love to see our vaccine allocation more in line, um, of course, with our population. But it, it, you know, if you if you're going to listen to the medical advice, more in line with amount of COVID cases, you know, fo- focus our resources on the areas that are facing real transmission and, and activity with um, with the virus. I would say I got a call last night from Premier Ford. He was heartfelt. He promised help. He said within two weeks, we're going to have mobile clinics up at a number of our factories. And he promised a pop-up clinic for um, so, you know, some of our hotspots. We, we have every postal code in Brampton is a hotspot. So, I appreciate his words, uh, but you know I'll, uh, you know I, I'm, I'm not going to be relieved until I actually see these these clinics in operation. I've seen some pictures of paramedics going to housebound seniors. I don't know if that was in Brampton. I don't think it was. Is any of that up and running in Brampton yet? Yeah. So currently, right now, we are medics helping with the vaccinations. Um, for seniors that are immobile. Um, and so we are looking at ways to get vaccines to those who are most vulnerable. And just yesterday, we announced that uh, Brampton Fire will now be working with the Osler Health Network. We're getting our firefighters trained to help with um, st- st- strategic deployment of vaccines to vulnerable uh, groups. Uh, the other question is, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, throughout this, we heard a lot of concern about potential vaccine hesitancy, especially uh, among certain groups. And, you know, when you see the long lineups for the vaccines that are available in hotspots, it, it, it is kind of a good uh, thing to see. What's your take on that? Yeah, I am concerned about vaccine hesitancy. I've, I'm hearing um, about it. it. What I would say is on on Tuesday, uh, I got my AstraZeneca vaccine. The best vaccine available is the first one um, available to you. Uh, and, you know, there was a great <laughs> analogy on the Internet from that uh, comedian, Brittle Star. And, and he said, if your house is on fire and the fire truck shows up, you're not going to refuse it and say you only want distilled water. Put the fire out. And these vaccines are 100% effective in avoiding um, uh, fatalities. And so uh, we do need to do more to engage the, the population to trust AstraZeneca. But I think the numbers are going to increase in, in the months uh, ahead in terms of uh, vaccine supply. Um, so I'm mindful that we do have to do some work on, on building public confidence in vaccines. Uh, you know, and as I've said here many times, uh, if if people take me as an example, not only did I get a shot of AstraZeneca, but I took my relatives who are 75 and over uh, who, you know, probably could have got the others, but the quickest was going to be AstraZeneca, and we all got AstraZeneca, and I have no issue with that. Yeah, no, I, I had no adverse reaction. Uh, it was safe, it was easy, and it would encourage everyone to get their vaccine. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, Patrick, let's turn now to something more pleasant and, and personal. Uh, you and your wife, Genevieve, welcomed a new baby. Yeah, we've got a very busy household right now. Um, we welcomed uh, last week uh, a daughter into our family, uh, Savannah, and uh, we're elated. We've got a little boy now and a little girl, so um, it's a very happy family, but we have an exhausted 
an exhausted mum, an exhausted but happy mum at home. And and she weighed seven point nine pounds. Good weight. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very special. You know it. Um, you know it. Uh, there's there's no greater love um, than uh, than being a parent. Well, congratulations to you. We wish you all the best. Uh, but on a more serious note, in addition to being elated and thrilled, you must be relieved, especially now in the third wave when there's talk about very adverse effects for pregnant women. Yeah, um, we were concerned um, because we didn't want to be uh, delivering in the in the COVID ward. And so, uh, yeah, it, um, there's a lot of other people. I know my sister right now is... Uh, is eight months pregnant and she's really? very nervous too. Yeah, Stephanie. Um, no, uh, Fiona. Oh, okay. My youngest sister, and um, and so yeah, we're we're um, we're we're nervous, uh, um, and hopefully we get more vaccine supplies so um, people like my sister and others are eligible to get uh, to, to get vaccines. I think there's a lot of um, uh, pregnant mothers who are uh, who are very uh, vulnerable right now. Yeah. Um, what would you say at this point is your top priority in Brampton? Vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. Those are my top three priorities. Okay. Well, uh, I hope that you do get some more vaccines. Again, congratulations from all of us here. We wish you all the best and, and thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. And now for something completely different. Uh, We're going to move from the birth of a new baby we just heard about to a milestone in healthy aging. And I have Richard Jacobs on the phone. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Can I speak to Bubbles, please? Yeah, she's right here. Hang on. Hello. Hello, Bubbles. Bubbles Jacobs. It's your 100th birthday today. Happy birthday. Thank you so much. May I ask who's calling? Yeah, sorry, it's Libby Snymer. You're on Fight Back. Oh. As a matter of fact, we've been looking for you, Libby. What, um, Tess, was, my, my caregiver, was just talking about you this morning. Oh, really? Yeah, we're a great admirer of yours. And we you were not on, we tried yesterday, I think, and... Are you okay? I'm I'm okay. I'm great. How are you? What is what's it like to turn a hundred? Um, well, to tell you the truth, it's hard to believe <laughs> <laughs> that they let me live that long. My kids even let me live that long. So I guess I guess I wasn't too bad a mother after all. <laughs> <laughs> you sound very chipper. You sound active. Like what's your you know, when people turn a hundred, of course. Well the big you- Good genes. I've had, I have good genes. And I'm blessed with my brain still working most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your secret? Do you, do you eat a special diet? Do you do special exercises? I do exercise every day. Yeah, I do exercise. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I just try to be positive and uh, it's hard these days. I, you know, I'm going through what everybody else is just hoping everybody is going to be well and we all get back to some kind of normalcy. But uh, as, like I tell my uh, kids, each day is one day closer to the end of this whole horrible thing. Uh, anyway, I, are you on the uh, on now? We're, we're on now and hang on. We, we want to play something for you. Oh, thank you so much. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Thank you so much. And, and Bubbles, are you going to do anything special on this special day? What can I do? You know, <laughs> well, first of all, uh, I'm getting a million phone calls, and uh, people have been coming to the door, so we kind of talk through the door. And so I, I, I just didn't expect this. You know, I thought under the circumstances that it was going to be kind of, a, I knew I'd get phone calls, but I can't just believe what's going on here. My children <laughs> have arranged things. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. So, uh, 
But, you know, a hundred years, that's what it is. And, uh, and it doesn't feel like it. I have to tell you, it's gone through very, very quickly. Well, you know what? A hundred years old, you've, you've been through a, a, a lot of bad things that happened. Uh, do you find that that's made you kind of more re- resilient to be able to deal with this? Well, I guess so. You know, we going, you know, uh, through the, uh, the the Second World War and whatever. Luckily, my husband didn't go overseas, so he was okay. And uh, yeah, I've seen a lot. I I guess. Uh, and when I lie in bed at night and I can't think, I think of all the things that, in the past. I don't think too much about the future. <laughs> but. Uh, it looks like the future's there. The way I feel, I'm feeling well, and I am healthy. And uh, uh, what can I say? Everybody out there, enjoy yourself uh, the best you can. Bubbles, you sound terrific, and it's a pleasure talking to you. And, and, and once again, happy birthday. Thank you so much. And then thank you for calling. And I want you to know we do listen to you. We enjoy your program. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh- Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that was fun. Uh, I was going to take a break, but I really got a lot of people lined up here for uh, a couple of comments. So uh, let me take a couple of calls. First, we go to Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron. Hi, Larry. Thanks for taking my call. Um, This is regarding, um, I guess, um, a couple of days behind reading it. And we've heard from Stephen Del Duca telling the premier he should be resigning. And um, I'm sure you read the star. This is from Reg Martin Regcone, who is no favorite of Doug, Fair, Doug Ford's. And he's commenting that um, battle with virus could do without finger pointing. And, of course, Stephen Del Duca has come out swinging with the teachers on his side. And yet um, Mr. Cohn has made a very valid comment uh, about the yet child care workers still looking after kids while instruction is halted were left off the list because he wants to prioritize the teachers. You don't want to prioritize the teachers. I drive a school bus. I talk to the teachers. And for the most part, at least in Guelph, we don't have an issue. I, I got a school with about 400 kids and one kid tested positive. So, um, and then Andrea Horwath comparing this whole thing where, uh, well, there are people in, in um, conservative writings are getting vaccinated first. This is nonsense. Okay. Ron, thanks for your call. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to Tony in Keswick. Hi, Tony. Hi there. I think I fell in love with Bubbles. Isn't she sweet? Oh, my God. <laughs> my mom just turned 100. I would have wow. been 100 this year, uh, just like Bubbles. And I, uh, I just wanted to say that the, uh, you know, people... On my Facebook, and I, I get my shot a week ago Tuesday, and people were going, you know, a lot of people on Facebook were saying negative stuff about, you know, it's not FDR approved, it's not this, and just get your shot and shut up. You know, I just, I'm tired of, of all this. You know, the politicians are trying to do the best they can. And, uh, you know, just get your shot. Like, I don't want to hear no nonsense. That's why you wouldn't got my shot. But I wanted to hear all the uh, rhetoric stuff, I would have not gotten my shot. You know what? So, uh, social social media is a scourge. That is where most of the misinformation about vaccines, you know, even before this comes from. And it's not a good way to get reliable news. So uh, oh. keep listening to the radio and uh, try to ignore that nonsense on social media. It's yeah. not a good thing. And that's why I listen to you all the time. Oh, great. Thanks so much, Tony. Thank you, Libby. Take care. Have a nice day. Okay, thanks. And get your shots, people. Okay, good good advice. Uh, right now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to go back to something that was announced in the federal budget, something really important, national standards for long-term care. Uh, you know, is there anything to the big announcement that was made in the budget? We'll have that when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. 
Since the federal budget was unveiled on Monday, we've been looking for clarity on a key item for a key issue, long-term care. Following the devastating toll the pandemic has taken on the elderly, the vulnerable elderly in nursing homes, advocates have been calling for national standards for long-term care, and the budget offers $3 billion towards that. But what will that money be spent on, and how will it support and enforce standards. I talked with Minister for Seniors, Deb Schultz, earlier this morning. Minister Deb Schultz, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to be back on Zoomer Radio. Thanks, Libby. Thank you. So in the budget, we saw $3 billion to help create national standards. And how it will do that leaves a lot of us scratching our heads. So the big question is, is all that money going to consultants? What that is to do, uh, you know that the long-term care is in the jurisdiction of the provinces and territories. And we have been working all along with the provinces and territories since the pandemic to help support them to support seniors in long-term care. We put $1 billion in the fall economic statement to continue to help support the provinces and territories to make improvements in the long-term care sector. And now we're sending up another $3 billion to support those provinces and territories to ensure standards. And Minister Schultz, sorry to interrupt, but my question is pretty specific. Mm-hmm. And it is, what exactly is that $3 billion being spent on? Because in the details, all we can see our studies and consultants. So right now, the health service organization, health service uh, health standards organization, and the Canadian Standards Association are working to develop national standards. This is something that they do uh, in all in the healthcare sector. We you see them. Uh, prevalent in hospitals and in equipment that's used across the country um, in the health sector. They have already started to develop national standards uh, for long-term care. So while they are working on that process, working with stakeholders, working with uh, industry experts, working with those in the long-term care sector and working with the provinces and territories, we are also working with the provinces and territories to, uh, it's their jurisdiction, so we are working with them. As you know, and your listeners would know, there are many elements in long-term care that need to be addressed. One is the facilities, one is the staffing of people, and the other one is the standards that will be applied. So the $3 billion is what we are going to be offering to support the provinces and territories to enact national standards and apply those standards. So There's a lot of work to be done, Libby, before we can give you the details, but the work is already started with discussions with provinces and territories. You know that the long-term care sector is different in every single province and territory, so it won't look the same across, you know, how this is going to be applied. So So this is is the work that's going to be underway, uh, but it's very good to know uh, that there is money there to help support the provinces and territories to ensure standards are applied. Well, yeah, it sounds like the answer is yes, the money is for studies and consultants. No, that's not what I said. (laughs) But that's you didn't tell me specifically that some of this money is going to go for staff or anything like that. Well, Libby, I already explained uh, the money that we have been been putting to the to this long-term care sector to support facilities improvements. We've also put three billion dollars and additional money in the one billion dollars uh, in the in the fall economic statement. Now, with that billion dollars announced in the fall economic statement, my understanding is that that money has not made its way through the legislative process and has not flowed yet. Is that right? So the fall economic statement was recently approved in Parliament and will will then be able to start flowing. And when will that happen? I would I would suggest that that is in the is in the short term now because we have now finally got the approval through the House. We have been pushing very hard on our our colleagues on the other side, the opposition colleagues, to help get that through the House and get it uh, voted on. So now that uh, has made its way through the House and will need to go to the Senate and get approved. So we're we're still looking at, uh, you know, a, a short term to get through the process within Parliament, and then that money will start flowing. Okay. Thank you very much, Minister for Seniors, Deb Schultz. Thank you very much for your time, Libby. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.
Okay, well, uh, what can I say? I tried to get some clarity. Uh, I guess uh, it's important to find out what the industry has to say about that. And I'd like to welcome Lisa Levin, Chief Executive Officer of Advantage Ontario, which represents nonprofit long-term care homes. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Libby. So what did you make of what the minister just told me? (laughs) Well, uh, you know, I I have to say I'm a little confused about the whole national standards uh, situation, (laughs) to be honest. And, uh, you know, we were very pleased to see a $3 billion commitment uh, and the $1 billion in the fall. It sounds like a lot of money, but then you divide it up amongst five years uh, and then you figure out what Ontario's share would be, and we estimate that we would get around $240 million. So in of itself, pardon me, that sounds really, really great, but in the context of national standards, there's really only so much that can be done. So we have to ask ourselves, really, what does this mean? Well, and first of all, will that money actually come? You know, that, that other billion dollars in the fall economic statement, it hasn't, quote, float. We, we need to have transformation in our system, Libby. And the provincial government, for example, announced that it would go from 2.75 hours of care in a home per person to four hours of care per person per day. And that's going to cost $1.9 billion over four years. So ultimately, the, the amount will be $1.9 billion a year. That's transformational. $240 million is a lot of money. But it's in the context of setting national standards that look at care for residents and ensuring it's safe and having a modern building is a drop in the bucket. Do you, uh, I mean, again, you know, I see uh, it's a bonanza for consultants and I don't really see much else in there. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that the federal government uh, does want to show that it's, it's making some changes and improving care. But I think the commitment is just not enough in the context of national standards. And I also just find the whole thing with standards confusing because in Ontario, for example, we have hundreds of regulations in long-term care that govern the homes. How will standards, you know, interact with those regulations? And what I'm most concerned about is that standards will be put in place and the homes won't have the money to be able to implement them. So people, I think we can get agreement on standards that are aspirational, but we need to make sure that the money is behind it. Well, uh, I think, uh, again, I mean, agreement. I think we all know what's needed. <laughs> yeah. I think we've, we've heard it umpteen times. I would almost prefer that the, the federal government be more targeted and say, here's $240 million, which is a lot of money. Let's upgrade our buildings or let's do something about staffing so that it, it's targeted and realistic. Okay, you know, and, and, you know, on top of everything else, we're hearing about, uh, well, we're hearing about you, you're living this critical shortages of staff. Yeah, absolutely. And so from a immigration perspective, the federal government has some levers and tools that it can use to help with staffing. And we have, uh, you know, been trying to work with them on uh, changes to things like the National Occupation Classification Code and to allow more uh, newcomers to come to Canada and work in long-term care. So there's some significant things that can be done at a federal level from a staffing perspective. Uh, we have somebody who works in long-term care who's been waiting patiently on the phone. So uh, I'm going to take one call, Tammy and Simcoe. Hi, Tammy. Hello, Tibby. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm very good. Go ahead. You're on the air. Okay, um, as far as all this money that they are saying, the money, I mean, it will help, but um, it, they are cutting back staff. The, where I work, it is for profit, and right after the uh, second wave, which we went through hell, our company uh, cut back. I was told that it was gov- uh, regulated to government standards. Um, I don't, in any nursing home, even at 10, we have the ratio of 10 to 1. You cannot look after properly uh, a resident, 10 residents, by yourself. Um, and our, the company I work for, if you speak up, then they will come after you. Um, ask uh, even a management where one of the workers stood up to them, 
then they told her that she can uh, be um, uh, disciplined and uh, be uh, in subordination. I'm getting ang- uh, angry here. I do every time I think of it. We need help. Everything we are disagreeing with everything you hear on the news. They are not cleaning up, especially for profit. Um, like I said, they're cutting back. They've hired more DOCs. What's than, a DOC? And they're not bringing Sorry. in the staff. They say there's a shortage. Well, there's a shortage. Why are the for profit allowed to cut back on staff? Okay. What's a DOC? Uh, since, so you got your DOC, which is your director of nursing, and then you got your assistant DOC, which they have hired three assistant DOCs, and of course we got our DOC. So they got more management in the building, but there's no funds that we have seen to get more uh, PSWs. And like every time I hear there's a shortage, I'm saying there's not. We have people, Libby, that want to work, but they've cut back the hours. And if we're short. Or for this is for instance, this is where they're cutting back. We had one go unmodified, and she will only she could only work six thirty to ten thirty. They should replace that with uh, the other four hours with another worker. They pull from another floor, and then so that floor is short. At the end of the day, with the for private, it is strictly money. At the end of the day, this is a business to them. This is not looking after human beings. It's a it's a business, and we've said where I work many times, it's like a it's run like a factory. Uh, we have no faith in the government uh, at all, or even our unions, because nobody seems to really take hold and fix the real problem. Uh, uh, Tammy, hang on. I'm uh, Lisa. Do you have anything you'd like to say to Tammy? Well, it makes me think of the comment that um, Minister Freeland said uh, on a recent media interview when asked about the place for for for-profit and not-for-profit in long-term care, and she said that she has a strong bias towards not-for-profit in long-term care, and she was also speaking about child care. And I think that when we look at things like standards and regulation, we need to realize there is a difference between not-for-profit and municipal homes and for-profit homes. And so... um, Otherwise, are, is this, are the same uh, restrictions and, and standards going to be placed on, on different homes that are, that are homes that are run by different players? That, that's an important question, and I, would, I think the federal government has made a commitment that we were really happy to see in terms of some funding we recently got. Uh, our members received $70 million in infrastructure funding, and uh, the federal government and the provincial government cost share that together 100% for the not-for-profits and a much lower percent for the for-profits. Uh, and with Minister Friedland's statement, I would say that the federal government definitely has a role to play in changing the conversation about uh, long-term care and the uh, for-profit and not-for-profit homes. Well, you know, we, we know anecdotally and by the numbers that that a lot of the really bad events more of them many more of them happened in for-profit homes and when you bring this up uh you know the 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 answer that you get from people who are involved with for profit say they have to follow the exact same rules all the money they get from the government uh goes to care it has to so uh I don't know, Lisa. What, what, what do you? How do you answer those explanations? So the way I answer it is that it is true that homes are all funded according to the same rules, uh, but there's uh, so so there's money that goes to different envelopes of care, but the any surplus that the home has in the not-for-profit or in municipal sector gets reinvested back into the home, and any surplus that a for-profit home has they need to use for profits. Okay. Uh, Tammy, uh, what what would you like to say to Lisa? Um, All I'd like to say to Lisa is I just, I wish, um, I have been trying to get on the show to really let people know what's going on. Uh, The ministry has been in our building. We have told them exactly what's going on, and we still haven't seen um, any changes. And I just, at the end of the day, I hope somewhere, somehow, um, somebody in authority will make sure what they're promising is done, and not four years from now. I'm talking like yesterday, because these people deserve better care than what they are being given. Right down to even diapers, we are limited to how many diapers. Oh my God. Because at the end of the day, it's money. So please, please 
help us to help do our jobs better to help these people. You know, I, I didn't ask you who you work for because, uh, you know, if there are some reprisals, I, I don't think we want to know. Exactly. Uh, so um, w- thank you for for telling us about this, and I hope take notes. One of the things that was very, very sorely lacking in this province was inspections, enforcement. One of the big problems is that even if there was an inspection and, and deficiencies were found, there's no consequence. There's no fixing. Um, there is no. I, w- I wish I could tell you, Libby, but they know where I work. I wish I could tell you what the pandemic, what we went through. We told the ministry, and when I talked to them, I really felt personally that, it, I mean, I told my co-worker, it's not going to go anywhere. We ha- we've tried, we've tried and tried, and that I've been trying to get on their show to let people know what's going on, because you know what? If nobody jumps on, everybody has to jump on the wagon and start fighting for long-term care, because one day there's going to be somebody you love that's going to be in there. We have to get educated and find out what's going on, and all of us stand up. Okay, uh, Tammy, just one more thing. Uh, if you'd like to tell us off air where you work, so we might be able to follow up, uh, just go to fightback at zoomer.ca. Okay? Uh, if you okay. want to give um, us any. Libby, more, yeah. I have to um, get, I have a doctor's appointment. I've got to get okay. in there. I've got two minutes to get in. Um, could I just phone this number again and then I can leave the information? Uh, the. Um, I don't know if we have uh, a voicemail, but a, a phone and ask or, for... It's only going to take a minute. I have to be in there. Okay, go, go go ahead or phone and ask for Zeev. Okay? And ask for who? Zeev. Zeev, okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to me, Libby. Thank okay, you. you're welcome. Okay, uh, 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 Lisa, um, what would you like to leave us with on this, the $3 billion, national standards, all of it? <laughs> Well, I mean, it was very upsetting to hear what Tammy had to say and to feel that you have to ration diapers and to feel, you know, how, how desperate a situation is in a home. And certainly, uh, I, I wouldn't paint all for-profit operators in the same way. Uh, that, that wouldn't be fair. But definitely, we need to do more to improve things in, in, in Canada. And uh, part of the issues is that we have an over-regulated system that is under-resourced, and we need to have more funding. And I do believe that any new uh, nonprofits that or any new long-term care homes that are built should be in the not-for-profit sector. And, uh, you know, we want to work with the federal government to be able to provide advice. I haven't had an opportunity to really get in and speak with anyone, even though we're one of the largest associations in, in Canada. It's been very hard to get through. And, um, you know, we would like to work with them to, to help improve the system. Well, maybe one of those uh, billion-dollar consultants will give you a shout. <laughs> Oh, I hope it's not going to consult. I really don't think it is. Okay. Thank you so okay. much for that, Lisa. Right. Appreciate your time. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, we've got to take a quick break. And when we come back, epidemiologist Dr. Timothy Sly, when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. There is no question that this third wave is different from the previous two. And even though vaccination efforts have been ramping up, the variants continue to have the edge. Dr. Eileen Davila has even referred to this as an entirely new pandemic. And with mounting hospital pressures and cases higher than ever, what do we need to do to protect ourselves? And how long might this go on? And do you have questions? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, let's go to Dr. Timothy Sly, an epidemiologist and professor at the Occupational and Public Health School at Ryerson University. Hi, Dr. Sly. Good afternoon, Libby. How are you? Very well, thank you. So uh, both the city and the province, they seem to be uh, pivoting a little bit in the strategies, trying to get to uh, neighborhoods where disease is rampant. Um, what do you make of the strategy now? Are, are, uh, are the authorities getting to do the right thing or are they still kind of behind? The, the nature of the beast is it's, 
everybody everywhere will always be behind where where uh, where the thing is going but it's 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 trying to reduce that lag time it's trying to get to, trying to get ahead of it even though we'll never quite be ahead of it uh all the data is delayed of course but i think the idea of targeting specific areas where this virus is moving around more aggressively is clearly the way to go and it should have been the way to go for for months and months and of course that goes along with that is the is the need for uh testing as well that we can get some idea of, of where it is and where it isn't yeah that that one that is one thing that seems to have gotten lost and yesterday i heard from some employers who want those rapid tests that seem to be stuck somewhere <laughs> Well, those rapid tests are not really uh, the, the answer to diagnosing anything because they they do have a, uh, a tendency not to show the positive case I- I- at all the time. So it may have some are about uh, 75%, some are 85%, some are 95%. Compared to the PCR test, the gold standard, which is around 99% uh, sensitive. But, uh, you know, as we said before uh, on this program, if you double up the test, so, for example, somebody shows up to be a, uh, you know, a, an attendant or a, or a hospital worker or a long-term care worker, something like that, and at least once a week, say every Monday morning, they get a rapid test. The same person gets a test again and again and again. That you will show up very quickly, the, the fact that you're positive. It may not be the first time, but certainly the second time. It's better than nothing. It's nowhere near 100%, but we seem to have missed that one tool in the toolbox that we could be going for. Vaccines won't really get us out of the third wave. I mean, eventually, they bring back the end of the end of the pandemic, but it's not going to uh, solve the problem. I mean, you need, you need a couple of weeks to build up the antibodies, and at the rate of doubling at the moment, it's uh, shooting way up. We're, we're much higher now than we were in the second wave. But what's ha- what the good news is, in a sense, is that the death rate, at least the case fatality rate, is much, much lower. And the reason for that is because the median age of the people who are now showing up ill, the confirmed cases are now the highest is in the 20 to 39 age group. If you remember a year ago, we were looking at long-term care people almost exclusively. Yeah, um, very tragic. I mean, I know now people are saying uh, that we should have pivoted to to the high-risk neighborhoods earlier, but, you know, I'm casting my mind back, and it was old people who were dying in droves. And, you know, even when it came to vaccinating older people first, there was there was a lot of deviation from that. You know, every time there'd be some group that put up their hands and say, gee, it's more important to get to me. And I think I, that, I mean, you, I don't know, you, you tell me what your opinion is, but I think that, that there were people who died because of that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And it goes with what we were saying a few moments ago, that in the first stages, go back to February, March, April last year, the only sector really involved at that time was long-term care homes and uh, people in, in that equivalent age group. And then slowly, a month or two later, it began to creep into uh, meatpacking plants, if you remember, and agricultural packing facilities. And then it sort of moved to larger-scale manufacturing, and then it got into uh, restaurants and, and parties and weddings and, and uh, that kind of thing. And so slowly the reaction of, of uh, the responses sort of followed on, but it was always a bit late coming into that. Uh, certainly, uh, the, the uh, you know, convenient people like nasty, crusty old people like me who can do most of our work at home, uh, we're sort of reasonably well protected until we go outdoors. But there are many people, and you know it as well as I do, who are, have to take two jobs, maybe three jobs, just to keep food on the table. They don't have a safety net of any kind. And that's where we begin to see it in the last, what, uh, I guess three months, really, really heavily coming down in that particular group. People are driving taxis, and they're, they're working in a packing uh, packing boxes, and they're working in other service industries. They don't have the luxury of a safety net and protection. Okay, I'm going to take a quick call from Melanie in Har- High Park. Hello, Melanie. Hi. Oh, so nice to hear you 
but you're back. It's just wonderful. Dr. Sly, um, I, did, I researched Dr. Google, <laughs> my specialty, and it says there that for the Pfizer vaccine, you need to be vaccinated within 21 days for Moderna, 28 days. And seniors are very vulnerable and others who have other comorbidities that they could become absolutely, totally unprotected if they're not vaccinated with that same amount of time. So my concern is, uh, is there a possibility we're going to have a wave that's fourth in the seniors passing away, dying, because they're not properly vaccinated. So we're going to have another, another disaster on our hands. Okay, let him answer. Thanks for your call, Melanie. Thanks, Melanie. I think, I think you're, uh, you're asking some good questions here. This was a major concern. It, it caused some, uh, as you, were, you can remember, some real uh, raised eyebrows and hesitation for a while when it was proposed that, uh, if you remember, this is about, what, two months ago, two and a half months ago, uh, when it was proposed, instead of giving a smaller number of people uh, both doses, did you give a much larger number of people one dose and then hold off for the second one? And it turned out that the real-world data came along and said, you know, even though the Phase three trial said 21 days and 28 days respectively, if you prolong it, that, that doesn't really go down. That protection doesn't go down. It lingers longer than anybody had thought, certainly longer than your manufacturers had thought and the governments had thought. The one slight exception with that is that very older people, frail people with underlying conditions as well, they produce antibodies at a slower rate. And so some, some national public health bodies have said, okay, have the, have the longer period of time, the two months or four months for the follow-up, for everybody in the population, but for frail people who are really vulnerable, they probably shouldn't have to wait that long. They should get their 21 or 28 days to protect them fully. But the rest of us are probably okay. And that's currently the situation. I don't know. I'm not in the, in the halls of decision-making. Of the, I don't know what's being decided, but that's the, that's the current thought, according to your, uh, your question. It's a good, well, good well, question. Well, yeah, a lot of people are very worried about this. I've heard from a lot of people. But my understanding is that the guideline at the moment, and unless we get more supplies, is that it's going to be four months, certainly for the two mRNA vaccines. Yeah, I'm actually in the 75 age group, actually, and I've been vaccinated once, and I've been told my second uh, show update will be 16 weeks, which is the four months. So I'm going to have to wait as well. But but this is the, the thinking coming out of Imperial, Imperial College London, which tends since to take the lead in a lot of this kind of uh, decision-making. Now, but I, mean, I understand that the, the situation right here at the moment is not to speed things up for the, uh, for the elderly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, that is, uh, it's a question of supply and, uh, you know, not to put too fine a point on it that way. The politicians can get up and say however many shots have been put into uh, people, even though they're not fully vaccinated. I was talking to a, this. This I'd like you to clarify. I was talking to a pharmacist on Monday, and he was saying that the guidance is not the same for AstraZeneca. Uh, is, is that right as far as you know? Uh, which guidance, Libby? Uh, on the interval between the first and second shot. I have, well, uh, other than the, the 21 versus the 28 days, which is the result of the phase three trials, see, the medical profession is, and God bless them, like to follow what's on the label. And very, very nervous about leaving the label. And this is why it took a lot of decisions well, to come off I, that. Well, no, but no, no, I no, haven't I mean, heard of a difference between the two that's been uh, verified or, or brought into, into, into practice. No, no, no. I mean the guidance in terms of NASI and the interval between the first and second shot. Yeah, that's right. I haven't heard of any solid decision made that would, would differentiate between the two. Uh, at the moment, I think uh, the, the, it's like one blanket coverage for both, but I, I, I may have missed something there. I haven't heard. Okay, because I, I want to get some confirmation on that, although I'm sure uh, that our pharmacist knows what he's talking about. So he said that there's no four-month guidance for AstraZeneca and that the label on that one, because it's a different technology... Yeah. Uh, says between four and twelve weeks, and that and that evidence shows that it's actually more effective at twelve weeks. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, this was always a, a, a worry that, that should, should the vaccine uh, have to be given in a shorter period of time, they would tail off quickly, or would it in fact continue up? What we do know is that the two, the two vaccines, which are viral vector vaccines, the Johnson Johnson and the AstraZeneca, those are the ones that seem to be uh, far more reaction following the, uh, the vaccination, for including these very, very rare uh, vaccine-induced uh, um, uh, thrombotic uh, events. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I have to say that especially when it comes to the, the Pfizer and the Moderna, this is one thing that a lot of people are very worried about. And uh, again, you know, I'm thinking it probably comes comes down to supply. Oh, it, it, yeah, Canada is, 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 is so slow off the starting block simply because we don't have that mass vaccination production facility. We should have that on board. We have a small vaccine production, but it's mainly for things like Ebola vaccine. It could never handle this size. But I think people are looking at that now, a little after the fact. But let's hope we, we have it in place for the next pandemic because there will be a third one. Remember, this is the third coronavirus uh, major outbreak of some kind in the world in the last 20 years. So there will be others. Well, there was something uh, in the budget on Monday. Yep. But uh, I don't know. Um, very hard to say what among all that stuff will actually happen. Uh, Dr. Sly, we have about a minute left. Uh, what are your top concerns right now? Top concerns is, is, is long distance, look at the vaccines and do everything you can to get them in. But short term, don't rely on the vaccines. Short term, it has to be more intensive individual protection, masking, distancing, don't let the guard down with those things. That's what's going to protect us in the next two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Anything else? No, it's just that we are currently level with India and Iraq. Oh my Canada. goodness, we're level with India? I thought it, they were the worst in the world. Oh, they are. But in terms of number of cases per day per 100,000 people, we are exactly equal to those. U.S. is actually only down to 19. They're better. And uh, so we're not doing too bad, not doing too well in the world, actually. Mm-hmm. And do you have a sense that we're, we're really at the peak of this and, and maybe it'll start coming down soon? Or what's your sense of that? No, I've been looking for the peak to taper off, to, to plateau off. It's not showing that at all at the moment. So far, we're heading straight up with like a rocket. Uh, it could level off, but it hasn't shown signs of doing that yet. So it's got me really worried. Uh-huh. And do you have, again, any sense how long this peak might last? Is there anything in the numbers that would give you a hint of that? No, there are some, some countries that have you shot way up, I mean, three times what the second wave was. We, we, we didn't think we would reach a third wave that was the same. The 1918 influenza had the third wave. There's only about half the size of the second wave. We're now equal to the second wave, and we're still going upwards. So don't, uh, don't relax anything at the moment. Okay, well, I, I, I wish you had some better news for us, but, <laughs> but we appreciate your contribution. Thank you so much for that, Thanks, Doc. Libby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow. Please call back if we couldn't get to your calls or if you have anything else you want to talk about that we didn't cover or whatever. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.